0: Dunkirk, a word most of us wouldn't know, much less the story, if not for the popularity of the movie that brought it to cinematic form. It's the story of heroic rescue during the spring of 1940 during World War II. Hitler was moving through Europe, and by this time, his panzer divisions were sweeping through the French troops and preparing for a siege on Great Britain. By this point, the Dutch and Belgians had already surrendered. Dunkirk was a channel port off the coast of France where the British army was scattered. The German troops only a few miles away in the hills of France closed in on what would be an easy kill. The Royal Navy determined that it had enough ships to save only 17,000 men, and the House of Commons was told to brace itself for hard and heavy tidings. While the world watched with fading hope, a bizarre fleet of ships appeared on the horizon of the English Channel, trawlers, tugboats, Fishing boats, boats, lifeboats, sailboats, pleasure boats, a ferry boat, and even the America's Cup Challenger Endeavor, all manned by civilian sailors, sped to the rescue. This ragtag armada eventually rescued over 330,000 men and returned them home to the shores of England. It was one of the most remarkable naval operations in history. Well, that ragtag armada did what everybody thought was impossible. What they lacked in formal training, they certainly made up for with full hearts of passion and a very clear and compelling vision for what needed to happen. They understood the mission. In a similar fashion, isn't it interesting that the church... God's chosen people for a cultivated mission is also a ragtag armada. (laughs) We saw that last week as we started this Made for Mission series that this mission includes me. And I think no matter what we think of ourselves, that leaves the majority of us feeling pretty intimidated, right? We don't bring much to the table, do we? I mean, especially when it comes to God's great rescue plan for the world being put into our hands. Yet God commissions his church, a ragtag group of flawed individuals, and he sends them out on a rescue operation to bring the gospel of hope to those who are lost and those who are dying. And again, that includes you and that includes me. You know, Remember, one of the big ideas that we want to hang on to in this series is simply this. Christ is in you for them. For those that don't know Christ, right here in Tallahassee where we work and where we play and where we live, Christ is in you for them, in your family and in your friend groups and in your neighborhood and as you travel all throughout this city. But Christ is also in you for those outside our city those here in the world that we live in. Romans 10 reminds us how in the world will they call on him if they haven't believed and how are they to believe if they haven't heard and how are they to hear unless somebody goes and tells them. Someone's got to speak. Someone's got to preach and Christ is in you for them from the remote jungles of South America to the heart of Africa to the unreached of the Middle East and China. I was powerfully reminded of this as our church gathered in a time of corporate prayer and fasting this past week. How amazing to hear the prayers of our people centered in on God. How will you use us? Christ is in us, faith family. Christ is in us, Wildwood, for them. That's the mission And this morning, I want you to see that this mission is worth giving your absolute all to because it was Jesus' mission to give his life for us. And because of that truth, we want all to see and know this great God that we worship and serve. And so missions is really the mission because we want our great God and King to be worshiped. Oh, We want all the people to see God for who he is, to see him in his glory, to love him, to be transformed by him, to join us in praising him. We want everybody, all the peoples of the world, to join in to that praise. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John uh, Piper writes this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. See, we do missions because it's not an end into itself, but because it's the necessary work to call others into worship to call them to see our great God and King. And so it's our great joy and privilege that missions would be the missions as the outflow of the worship of God in our lives, individually and in this church corporately. Have you ever read through Hebrews chapter 11? It's really the chapter dedicated in the Bible. We call it the great hall of faith or the great chapter of faith. All of the men and the women, the heroes of our faith. And, and we read their stories and we see what they, how God used them. And it often leaves us wondering, well, why not me? Now, not in an arrogant, obviously, or a prideful sense, but, but in a sense really of bewilderment thinking, am I missing something? Is there something that they had that I uh, don't have? Maybe you've read stories of missionaries or those living out their faith in different contexts, like the persecuted church or brothers and sisters, even today, who who live boldly sharing their faith at the risk of imprisonment or torture or even death. And you wonder, how, how do they do that? How have they lived like that? Is there something inside you this morning that that longs to live a life that matters? Again, from Piper, the people that make a durable difference in this world are not the people who have been mastered by many things, but those who have been mastered by one great thing. Don't you long for that? To be mastered by one great thing, something that is so compelling that you would give your very all to his name is Jesus. He's worth giving your very all to the worship of almighty God. It's what compels us to live missions and to make a difference in this world. And, and again, understand my heart, it's not about making a name for yourself I'm talking about making Jesus' name great, like we read in Isaiah 26. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, your name, your renown are the desire of our hearts. That's what we live for. That's what we're about, making his name great. Well, then why is it that most people in churches that would call themselves Christians don't live lives of significance? From what I've observed, it's, it's many in the church, but also in our church, it's really the root is not understanding the Christian faith. The reason that most people don't live on mission is because fundamentally, most people don't understand the gospel, the very essence of our Christian faith. And what we see Jesus doing over and over again throughout scripture, and we'll see it in our passage this morning, Jesus is saying, what I am doing is something new, It's not like anything that's ever taken place before. What I'm showing you, what I'm saying to you is new. It's nothing like anything you've heard. It's not like any of the other religions of this world, and it's certainly not like the culture that you live in. So let's look and see what Jesus is talking about, what he wants us to see from our text this morning. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and as we open God's Word this morning, if you're willing and able to stand, I invite you to do so with me in honor of his Word. Matthew, chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And as he rose, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came, to call the not, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, through the power of your spirit, would you open our eyes to see what this means this morning? And in understanding this, Father, may it set our hearts on fire for that which you have called us, your church, to be and certainly to do. Father, we want to live lives that are mastered by one great thing. Something so compelling that we would give our very lives to. And Father, I pray for those who may be far off this morning that as they hear your word, they would hear the calling of the gospel and enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And Father, those of us who know you, May you speak to our hearts in such a way that compels us, that grips us, that grabs us at our core. God, speak to us individually, speak to us together as a faith family. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We'll dive right in. The first thing we see this morning is that from our text, the mission starts with a clear call. Jesus gives really two words to Matthew, follow me. And we understand these words because we've read the Gospels, but can you put yourself in Matthew's shoes for a moment? Now, it was likely that Matthew had had interactions with Jesus before, not just knowing about him, but experiencing him in different uh, contexts. There would have been a good familiarity at this point. But he still receives a very intentional call stated simply as, Follow me. It was a calling to a new life, a new job, a new future. And I think about that and I wonder, how in the world did Matthew get up? (laughs) Like what made him get up? He has a, a lucrative and secure career despite the occupational hazard of being extremely unpopular. He would have been regarded as a sellout to his own people in order to take this job with the Roman government, but everything about it would have been secure, having a job and wealth and and notoriety, and yet he gets up and he leaves it all behind because that's what Jesus was asking of him. He was asking him to give a commitment that entailed his whole life. Jesus asked Matthew to join the movement Now, in terms of being a good fit for the team, uh, it would seem from us looking in, Jesus makes a very interesting choice, right? But that's what's amazing about Jesus' calling. It's far bigger than our personalities, yet he uses all kinds. It's bigger than our gifts and abilities because what he longs for most is our availability. It's bigger than our commitment level. Because all of us would have to admit that it's in our weakness that he is made uh, strong, right? His power and plan is accomplished through our weakness. So it would seem that the only thing that we bring to the table is a willingness to get up from the table. To simply respond to his calling when he says, follow me. And I would say to you this morning, if you've met the real Jesus, then you've got to figure out who he is and how you will relate to him and then how you will respond to his calling. Because being a follower of Jesus is not something that you take up, but it's something that takes you up. We we don't get to set the terms or the agenda. Jesus says, follow me, which is an all or nothing directive. Now, we in the church today have uh, an absolute advantage. Is we, we've read the story. We've seen Jesus. We know how the gospel's played out, and so uh, we know what he has done for us. How much easier to, to rise up and follow, to lose our life for him, because we know he was willing to lose his life for us. In faith, we can lose our life for him. We can get up and follow, but my question is, have you done that? Faith family, again, I call us back uh, to the gospel. You cannot be a follower of Jesus unless you've been called away. Called away from whatever you're putting your hope in, your religion, or your good deeds, your good behavior, or your wealth, or your success, or your popularity, or your status. Whatever you have been clinging to to find life. Well, that's got to die because the gospel is a calling away. The gospel is never Jesus plus anything. The gospel is Jesus and Jesus only. The gospel is Jesus equals everything and that 's why the Gospel is so crucial to our endeavor of be, of missions being the mission as badly as I as your pastor can want and long for you to join him on mission and call you to mission i 've got to remember i can 't make that happen You' have my own strength i 'm powerless i 'm not the one that does uh, the calling it 's not me as the one who who builds the team. in fact, our Christian faith doesn't start with an invitation that we offer to Jesus. Our Christian faith starts with an invitation that Jesus offers to us. Let me remind you that Jesus' calling of you, just like he issued that call to a ragtag group of disciples, is not because of who you are, it's in spite of who you are. And that's the point. Uh, these men that we read about here, and you and I have become disciples of Jesus solely because the initiative and the invitation of Christ. And that changes everything for us. Are you overwhelmed by the greatness of the one who has called you? We should be overwhelmed by the magnitude of these words, follow me, because we're in awe of the majesty of the me. That's the important word in the calling. I've never been invited to the White House, and I'm sure you could get the picture I was going for, but I'll use another example. I was invited to a basketball clinic. I may not be impressive to you this morning, But it sure was for me. It was one that my dad actually had the opportunity uh, to uh, host. And two of the clinicians might as well have been the president for 10-year-old me. Because I was invited to meet Coach Mike Koszewski and Coach Bobby Knight. I got to be in the presence of two of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. It was an experience I'll never forget. But how much more then should an invitation from the everlasting, ever-reigning, all-powerful God of the universe alter everything about our lives? Do we realize the weight of the one who has invited us to follow him? He's certainly worthy of more than convenient church attendance or casual acquaintance. He's worthy of total abandonment. And wholehearted adoration. The second thing we see from our text is that the mission shares the gospel of scandalous grace. Picture with me that you and your spouse have kind of set a date night before you this week, a romantic evening away from the kiddos. And despite your best efforts to get a reservation, Taco Bell is full and so you have to choose somewhere else, whatever your restaurant of choice is here in, in Tallahassee, and, and you're excited and you're prepared, and, and you go in and you get your seat, and then all of a sudden you start to hear the commotion that's in the restaurant. It's kind of the restaurant with one of those back rooms, and, and you're sitting there prepared for this evening, and then the, uh, the commotion gets louder and louder. All of a sudden it starts to grate on you, and it's frustrating you here. You've got this evening planned out, so you get up and decide to investigate kind of make your way to the back and, and, and look in, and to your shock, there's Jesus at the center of the table, in the center of all the commotion, and you take a quick glance around, and you're like, how did that guy get there? No need to name names, but that local politician that you know is corrupt to the core, and you glance around the table, and you see that Celebrity, and you think, well, I know their values or lack thereof. How are they there? And you keep scanning, and then you see this corner, and it's got women, and they're dressed in a way that, well, you know, you need to stop staring at that moment. <laughs> Maybe that athlete, well, there's somebody, and they, you know, they're, they're still in prison. What are they doing there? And those religious leaders that have fallen from grace, what in the world is going on here? Why is Jesus in the middle of them? If you felt really uncomfortable picturing yourself in that story, then welcome to the scandalous grace of Matthew chapter 9. Really, welcome to the scandalous grace of the gospel. One of my favorite quotes on grace, real grace is simply inexplicable, inappropriate, out of the box, out of bounds, offensive, excessive, too much, given in the wrong people, and all those things. Grace is scandalous. And scandalous grace is at the core of the method of missions, and it's at the core of the message of the mission. What did they ask? Why does your teacher eat with people like that? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, remember in New Testament times to open up uh, your home, much less to have someone sit at your table and share a meal with them, was to share life, to share connection, to share a deep relational intimacy. And here we find Jesus gathered at Matthew's house with a bunch of other tax collectors and other sinners. And the Pharisees are losing their minds that Jesus would be with this group you know what? When the mission of God shapes out your life and grabs you at the core, other people will question your Christian faith as well. When the mission of God grabs you and gets a hold of you, other well-meaning Christians will question you. They'll be uncomfortable with your commitment level. They may even call into, com- into question the company that you're keeping. They'll scrutinize you for how you're spending your time or your resources, because it doesn't make sense. Yet when you join God in a life on mission, you begin to realize that none of your friendships or acquaintances are coincidental. God's placed people in your circles, your spheres of influence, so that you can share what happened to you and with faith that it could happen to them. Isn't it true that all of us had someone with intentionality move towards us? to share the good news of the gospel with us. And so we get to do the same uh, for others. We certainly believe in intentionality towards our neighbors here in Tallahassee. We've got to see them. We've got to go for them. And in many ways, God has even brought the nations to us here in Tallahassee. But if we're gonna make disciples of all the nations with intentionality, we're gonna have to go to places outside our normal routine of our daily lives. In 1865, when Hudson Taylor directed, he eventually became the director of the China Inland Mission. He he would interview candidates that were preparing to go uh, to serve on the mission field. And on one occasion, he met with this group of applicants to determine their motivations for service. He asked the first, why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary? He responded, I want to go because Christ has commanded me to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. And others gave different responses. And then Hudson Taylor said this, All of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trials, tribulation, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ. Why do we go? Because the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us to go. It's in gratitude for all that we've been given. And in love and compassion and obedience with intentionality, we seek to tell others the good news that we have heard, that we've received. Third thing we see this morning is that the mission shows mercy to the spiritually sick. What a powerful response to the Pharisees. Those who are sick have no need of a doctor. The great irony was the Pharisees thought, well, we're the ones who are well. We're the healthy ones. We're the ones who have it all uh, together, but they were fatally sick with the sin of self-righteousness. They thought that they were better than these tax collectors and, and sinners. And then we get a quote from a verse that should be familiar to us from our Hosea series. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees would have known Scripture well enough and they would have understood exactly uh, this uh, verse was directed at them. And Jesus was connecting them to the unrighteous uh, priests that existed during Hosea's time who followed all the religious rules yet were so far from the love of God, from understanding the heart of the gospel. Yet Jesus is great in mercy even in his rebuking of the Pharisees and inviting these religious to repent and come to him for spiritual healing. And so Jesus reiterates his mission. I have come for the sick, for those who realize that they have a sin problem and realize they can't fix themselves. They can't heal themselves. Jesus' argument is quite logical, I'm here for anyone who can acknowledge their need for spiritual healing because guess what? I'm the great spiritual healer. And so if you can see it, you can come to me, and I will heal you. And so here Jesus is intentionally eating with tax collectors and sinners. It makes sense, right? Because he's on a deliberate mission to show mercy and to bring spiritual healing. So I ask, are you spending time at a table? Are you spending time around those in need of God's mercy? Could you be criticized for actually spending too much time for those who are spiritually sick? And then I think about our church. Are we reaching the spiritually sick? Is that what we are are known for? Do we have a reputation for reaching out to sick sinners With the hope of the gospel. Faith family, my heart is that we would be a church on mission. We know we've been called. God has given us His His Spirit. We know what's being asked of us. And I pray we're seriously seeking the Lord when it comes to our role individually and when it comes to our role corporately. And I would say to you, there's no formula. There's no easy answers. It really comes down to knowing God and trusting God. We have to spend time with him. What do we do? We sincerely listen to his word, and then we walk in obedience to it. Great pastor, theologian, poet, Eugene Peterson, really gave one of my favorite quotes on discipleship, and he calls it this, a long obedience in the same direction. Well, couldn't that be said about worship? That our truest form of worship is actually our obedience? And then couldn't it also be said about mission? That we live out our discipleship, we live out our our worship as long obedience in the same direction? As we speak the gospel of grace daily and with intentionality, we serve a God. We love a God that desires to be worshiped, and his great desires that every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people would hear, receive, and embrace the gospel of his scandalous grace and live lives of worship. That's the mission. That's what we're called to give our lives toward. We do this with great intention. As the early global missions movement began, it was not unusual for missionaries to pack all of their belongings in coffins. It's a sobering thought, right? Because they lived with the understanding they likely would need to come back in something. That they would give their lives for the sake of the mission. Well, because of that reality to this day, Many missionaries are asked to write a last letter in case they die on the field. Well, in early 2004, Karen Watson wrote her last letter, leaving behind everything she had known, leaving behind a career to serve as a missionary in Iraq. In March of that year, she and four other missionaries were traveling around and were ambushed. The vehicle that they were riding in took on fire in northern Iraq in the city of Mosul. She was 38 years old. She had only been a Christian for about eight years. She loved the word of God and the work of God with great passion. Here is her last letter. Dear Pastor, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls us, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory my reward. The missionary heart cares more than some think is wise. Risks more than some think is safe. Dreams more than some think is practical. Expects more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you and my church family in his care, Karen. The mission of God is going to look different in each of our lives. One thing will look the same. Being mastered by one great thing. Being mastered by Jesus. Responding to His calling on our lives. follow me taking the gospel of scandalous grace to those who are spiritually sick and in need of a Savior. It will call us to care more than we feel like we are even capable of. It will call us certainly to risk beyond what we ever feel is safe. It will certainly call us to go to uncomfortable places. But we go with the message of hope. We go with a message that we know we don't speak out of our own accord, the very spirit that Christ has placed inside of us, equips us and empowers us and emboldens us to share the gospel of his scandalous grace for sinners. Sinners like you and me. Sinners that have been changed, captivated by this gospel of grace. Sinners with a story to share. That's why we go. We go because missions is the mission. It's worth giving our very lives to.